So last week was Super Bowl, and I was supposed to preach, and then snow came. Uh, so we didn't come, we didn't meet, but um, there was some anticipation that I wanted to build off of that I no longer can't, because we, we know what, what happened. Um, but before, let's go back to a week ago, we think about these two teams that were going to play, and they were the best of the best. I mean, here in New York, we don't know what that's like. <laughs> Met fan, fans, Jets, Giants, all terrible. And here's something you need to know about me. I love watching football. You know, some people, they watch baseball, they watch hockey, I don't know why. They, basketball, I can, you know, I can get around the last couple of minutes of basketball or probably the most, you know, that's where I can actually get into it because it matters at that point. Um, but let's talk about baseball for a second. Like if you have, I heard a friend say this to me recently, if you have to schedule a stretch in the middle of the game, maybe it's too long. <laughs> you know? I was like, that's a great point. That's probably why I can't handle it. When I go to, you know, the stadium, I'll do it for the food, really. I'm like, seventh inning stretch is like, let's get more cheesesteaks. Um, but yeah, anyway, I love watching football. So I was ready. I was ready to come in and be like, guys, we don't know what's going to happen. You got two great teams. You got Tom Brady. You know, you got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, right? Like, we don't know. Anything could happen. Well, we, we know what happened, so... We don't have the anticipation to build off of. So I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit, or I'm going to get you guys involved. And so those of you in the room, I'm going to need you to raise your hand. Uh, those of you at home who are watching, you feel free to, to fill up the comments here, and we're going to get this going. So I'm going to ask this question. It's a, who would win in a fight? That's what I'm going to ask. So our first contestants we have will be up on the screen. It's going to be this. Would Han Solo, if he fought Indiana Jones, who would win? Now, no lightsabers or anything like that, just hand-to-hand combat. So we're going to go. Who would win? Han Solo. Raise your hand if you think. Han shoots first. Han shoots first. That's right. Uh, who or Indiana Jones? Who do you think? Just raise, wow. Second service as well thinks Indiana Jones would take it. All right. What do you guys think in the comments? Go ahead and write it. Um, our next person um, is this. Here we go. Batman versus Iron Man. Oh, they're both rich. They're both regular men. They don't got superpowers. They got cool suits and gadgets. Who do you think would win? We have, who votes for Batman? Okay, who votes for Iron Man? You know, it is a little close, but I think Iron Man took it. And now the last one is really intense, and I want you guys to get ready for this, okay? You really get a... All right, here it is, third one. We have the Predator (laughs) versus Kevin McAllister. But here's the caveat. Kevin Kevin McAllister has... 24 hours of prep time. And we know what he does with that. So that's kind of a big deal. If he didn't have that prep time, we know that it wouldn't be a big deal. Well, that's my opinion. What is yours? Who thinks Predator would win? Okay, we got a few, we got a few more of the service. All right, who thinks that Kevin McAllister would win? All right. All right. Thank you for joining us. All right. We're going to pray and that'll be it. No. See, the thing is, is in a lot of these human kind of matchups, minus Predator, which is an alien, but who's being exact. Um, (laughs) These things we would say mostly can be close, right? Han Solo versus Indiana Jones. Like like it can be a close call Uh, between the two sport teams that played last week, right? It can be anybody's game. And I want to talk about today how we can kind of take our understanding of God, or should I say good versus evil, God versus Satan, and kind of sometimes feel like, I don't know, in that battle, 
it might seem like it could be close, right? Like we see the news and we see evil happening around us and it's almost like evil is scoring a touchdown. And we can kind of find ourselves looking around being like, is God losing? Is he in control? And I think it's important that we dive into some of these things because every single day that we turn the TV on, we see what? A commercial saying, it's unprecedented times. In these unprecedented times, in these unprecedented times, we hear it over and over again. And I miss when times were precedented, when we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I stole that from a TikTok video, so all the younger people know what that is, right? I'm in between. I'm old and young at the same time. But here's the thing. We see it all around us, and we can often say, God, you know, do you, do you got this? Are you, are you in control? Do you have me? And so we begin to ask these questions, and I think these are good questions to ask. And, and here at Living Word Church, we want you to be real with your faith. And so if you're at a, por- por- a portion where you're like, I feel like I'm doubting, hey, you're in good company. Let, let's work through this together. But a lot of times, when it comes to our faith, it can be maybe built off our circumstances. Like Friday, like being at the hospital, seeing Doug like stand up and come out, like tears are coming to my eyes. I'm like, this is awesome, right? God is moving a miracle before us. It's easy at that point to just, you know, maybe some of you came in here today and you're singing your hearts out. Your, the, your neighbor is kind of covering their ear, right? Like you were singing and praising him so loud during worship. You know, when circumstances are good, we're seeing miracles. It's easy for our faith to be strong. But, but the inverse can sometimes be true when circumstances are hard or things aren't going our way. We can lose faith. We can disconnect We sometimes walk away from God, but mostly what most of us do is we disconnect from his peace. We begin to ask questions like, does he have me? Is he in control? And here's why this matters. We talk about this today because life is not one steady, happy climb. I wish it was, but it's not. And we need to be encouraged that our God, he see, he created the day, but he also created the darkness and he called it both good. And metaphorically, when we go through dark times in our, time, in our life, God is also in control and with us. And it's important we remind our hearts of that today. If you're not a Christian or you're new to faith and you're just kind of tuning in, you're checking this out, you're, you're new to learning about this stuff, man, God does not leave your soul and mine up for chance. He has provided such an amazing hope. And we're going to be scratching the surface of that. We're going to be trying to, you know, answer a a tough question vaguely. But I think it's enough to have us looking and seeing through all the details, through all the tough things, that our God is indeed in control. And so I want to look at three things here today. We're going to be in Matthew 2. The first thing is a glimpse into how God works. When we see a glimpse, we can be encouraged, hey, if this is how he works in this small way, we may not understand him. He's so big. But man, we can be encouraged from that small glimpse in our own circumstances and the fact that he does have us, right? The second thing I want to talk about is that there's a misconception that we have when it comes to understanding what evil is. And third, I want us to walk away with a hope to embrace. So we're going to be in Matthew 2. And uh, this is early on in the book of Matthew. This is talking about Jesus, and here's the thing, Jesus has not grown up at this point. He's not starting, he hasn't started his ministry yet. He isn't doing miracles yet. He is infant baby Jesus. And already the devil is looking to kill him off 
to wipe him out of the story that God is trying to write. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, remember that, in the east, and we have come to worship him. Three, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So picture this with me. The Magi come, and when we hear, this is like, Andrew, this is, it sounds like the Christmas story. It's, it's Valentine's Day. What are we doing? What we're talking about today. So when we think back to Christmas, we think of the three wise men, right? And, and really what we see is that a lot of people believe that there was an entourage of Magi. There was a whole group of them coming into Jerusalem. And what they were doing is they were asking people, hey, where is the Savior to be born? We saw his star. And see, that was a buzzword for a lot of people. Because in Numbers 24, verse 17, it says this, A star shall appear from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall smash the forehead of Moab and overcome the sons of Sheth. So what does that mean? A lot of people looked at that as a messianic prophecy saying that the Savior was to come and now there's a star involved. And so if you're a person living in that time, you see a whole group of foreigners coming and saying, hey, we saw the star. Where's the Savior? It's a buzzword. It's getting the people stirred up. And see, they were troubled at the idea of a new king. And we need to think about the king they currently had for a moment, King Herod. He was a tyrant, murderous king. And we're going to talk about him in a moment. But it goes to show that evil had its grip on that culture. They were afraid of of a new king, of the promised king, and so they were troubled. Here's a side message for some of us here today. See, some of us, we can stay stuck in something toxic or something, you know, whether it be a toxic job or a relationship or a situation because it's known, because it's familiar. It almost feels safe because we're afraid of the unknown, right? And these people, in a sense, were afraid of the unknown. And today, maybe that is you. I want to encourage you. Step out. See what God has. Sometimes he calls us out in faith. And, and when I say that, obviously, every situation result, um requires wisdom. But just a side message for us today that sometimes the known can hold us back from what God has. And in this case, that's what we see these people troubled, worried. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was they were worried because they knew that Herod was a murderous king. Whatever it may be, we see that evil has permeated that culture. And we can see that when Herod heard, well, we've seen the star. I could imagine just picturing the Herod just standing there hearing the news. He clenches his fist and says, star. Well, that means that's the savior and there can only be one king. See, he cared about his lineage. He cared about his kingdom. He wanted his kingdom to reign. And see, this is where we see evil rear up its head in my life and in yours. What evil is, is it starts by saying, I'm gonna do what I want. That's what happened in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? They said, well, God said not to eat from this one tree. They had one rule. But I want to do what I want, right? Well, it's, it's, it starts as this. Picture with me a small child in their 
stroller, that's the word. And they're, they're being pushed along and they have their little dolly in their arms, right? And you say, can I have that dolly? And they go, no, it's mine. We look at this and say, oh, that's cute. They like their dolly, right? And likewise, that thought, young, is not a big deal. But when we see the whole desire of I want my way and I want it now, and we see it grow, and we see, for in Herod's case, unrestricted power, unrestricted finances, and we see it kind of go to its full degree, we see that there is chaos, pain, and death attached to that. That's how it grows up. When full grown, we see, and this is exactly what we see in King Herod. A little bit about King Herod. He had 10 wives. Wow. And he had so many children with those wives. And because of that, he was terrified that his sons would overtake the throne. So he murdered a lot of his sons. He murdered his, his cousins, his brother. It, one historian says that he killed his favorite wife. Which, let's think about that statement for a second. If you have enough wives, well, killing anyone is wrong, okay? But you have enough wives that one could be your favorite, you, you probably have some serious deep issues. And he took his sister, um, another, uh, Josephus talks about this story. He told his sister, hey, do me a favor, rally up all the Jewish leaders, or a whole bunch of Jewish le- leaders for that matter, and bring them to my winter palace and put them in a palindrome. The palindrome was like a arena of some kind. Store them there. She goes, okay, she does it. She says, well, Why? Later, brother, why am I doing this? He says, well, I know that on the day of my death, the Jews will rejoice, and so I want you to give them something to cry about. And so he ordered on his death to kill a whole bunch of Jewish leaders so that they would be mourning on the day he died. So I don't want to hang out with that guy. I don't know about you. But this is the guy who hears news that the Savior is coming. And so in verses 4 through 7, we see Herod, he gathers the chief priests together. He wants to know where the Messiah is going to be born. He inquires of him, as it says in the scriptures. And he opens the scriptures and says, hey, what does the scriptures say? Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem? Great. Why was he doing that? Was he doing it to worship Jesus? No, he was doing it to kill Jesus. I find it completely strange That he knew enough to go to God's word to get the answer to then try and thwart God. Have you ever heard the phrase, the devil is in the details? In this case, it almost sounds like a sci-fi movie. Like there's something going on because it seems like that Herod's plans are in direct alignment with what the devil himself is trying to do. And that is wipe out Jesus. And if we look close enough, we can almost see him pulling the strings. And here's what I want us to understand when it comes to responsibility, right? We've all seen like one of those sci-fi movies where someone is mind-controlled. None in particular, but they're mind-controlled. And and at some point in the movie, whether it's the beginning, middle, or end, they kind of snap out of it and they go, oh, man, what happened, right? As if they're disconnected from their actions. We need to understand that when it comes to human responsibility, that's not how it works here for you and for me and for Herod. The devil made me do it. It's not a sufficient excuse. Like if I were to rob a jewelry store, I don't know why, but if let's say I did, the cops will catch me because I'm not that great, smart at that. Um, although I dream of doing a heist, you know, I think those are cool. But anyway, 
uh, a righteous heist, though. <laughs> if I were to be arrested, right? With, and I said, well, oh, I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. The cop would be like, get in the van. You know, it's not a sufficient excuse. And the truth is this, that when we are so disconnected from God, we become susceptible to other forces. And even we can find ourselves cooperating with them. And this is what we see Herod do. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The devil uses leaders and systems. And Paul reminds us, listen, hey, our our issue is not only with, with people, but there are forces behind those people that we need to consider so we see the devil's kind of in the details here. So how does this play out? We'll go ahead in verse 7. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. That sneaky guy. He lies to the Magi saying, listen, you go ahead to Bethlehem and you come back and you tell me so I can worship. And we see the evil plot unfold here. But if we look closely at this verse, we see there's something else going on. A lot of times we're more focused on what Herod's doing, on the deception. But we see, start to see a little glimpse of how God is moving in his sovereignty over all of this. I love how the Magi are sent to the correct place by Herod. Yes, they, they followed the star, but they, they, they came to him and he says, go to Bethlehem. It says, the scripture says they, he sent them ahead to Bethlehem. And the principle rings true that God uses an evil king to lead the Magi to find Jesus. I find that cool. Goes to show that, that, that even in an area where it seems like things are going off the rails, that God is indeed in control. And church, the dark circumstances that may surround you or the tough situations you think back on, it's important to know that God holds you through them. That God, he's not the author of evil that we were in the garden when we made that choice. But God reigns above it all. We may not understand why things happen the way they do, but it's everything serves God in the end. Let's continue. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. So we see God is supernaturally also leading them to. Continues in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here, we're thinking of a nativity scene and the three wise men, and this is where they probably got the idea from. There was three gifts, so there must have been three wise men, right? But it doesn't necessarily say. And also, a fun tidbit of information, that this wasn't the night that Jesus was born. This was sometime after. Again, it said house, right? And so we see them coming in. But the moral of the story is they found the Savior. They worshipped him. 
And they were able to go back to their land and say, we have seen with our eyes the Savior of the world. Hope has come. But what's going to happen? Are they going to go back to Herod? Verse 12 tells us, And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. See, here's what we need to see, that the devil may be in the details, but God controls the outcome. He's over that outcome. He's in control. He sends the Magi away, and had this not happened, they might have reported back to Herod. Herod would have come into Bethlehem, and he ended up coming into Bethlehem. But the reason why he didn't find Jesus was because God's all about the dreams and, and being clear, right? He appears to Joseph, and you got a Mary, you got Joseph, appears to Joseph saying, hey, Herod is going to kill the child. Flee to Egypt. Wait for Herod to die. And so that happens, and Jesus is saved. Jesus doesn't die, but he lives, right? We're like, yes, touchdown. The good guys win. But we know that's not how history left it. We know that history doesn't stop there because Jesus, he grows up, he ministers, he does miracles, he fulfills the law, he does all these amazing things. Shows people God in human form. The people and their hope are, are escalated. Like they're excited. They're saying, this is the Savior we've been waiting for. And they're waiting for him to take over the, a kingdom. They want to they see him on the throne. They want to see him, you know, remove all the Herods of the world and put Jesus on the throne. Yes. But somewhere in the midst of that, Satan riles up the religious leaders. You know the story, right? gets everyone hyped up on their pride and their jealousy and they put Jesus on a cross. And I want you to imagine with me that you were living back then, that you were, that you were, you were watching everything unfold and now we're staring at the cross. And here's the thing, today, when we wear a cross on our neck, like we might see it on someone, we might say, wow, that looks, you know, that's my faith, that's my hope. But back then, no one was wearing crosses around their necks. See, a cross meant dead end. A cross meant, hey, check your hope at the door because it's gone. And to see you're the Savior on a cross. I can imagine just standing there, if it was you and I, we would have been like, God, what is going on? Evil looks like it's winning. Everything we hope for, where is it going? What appeared as a loss, though, it was not. Tim Keller said this. He said, if God were small enough to be fully understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. I think that's something we need to embrace today. That doesn't mean that we blindly believe everything and we just explain everything away, but it gives us some peace today to know that, hey, our God is so big that there's going to be aspects that we're just not going to get, and that's a beautiful thing. And we may look at the surface here and see, like, God, what are you doing? Why is he up on the cross? Why is this not happening? Why don't you just wipe out evil? Jesus was supposed to fix everything. But there's something we need to understand about evil, a misconception that we have. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says this. He helps us understand. He says, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us. 
and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? See, the problem with evil, it's you and it's me. That if God decides today I'm going to wipe out all evil, you and I are going with it. And you might be sitting here saying, well, Andrew, I'm a good person. But there's terrorists plotting horrible things in the world. And there's me. Yeah, I might have cheated and steal and and, and did something when I was younger. But I, I, I worked on it, man. I'm better. And as humans, we love to point out the differences. Well, that person's worse than me. But when it comes down to it, God is perfect. And he has given us his law. And if we break that law in the smallest bit, we fall short of his glory. And so if God has to judge evil, then that that wipes you and I out. And see, that presents a problem because God, he loves his creation, yet his creation has rejected him. And this looks impossible. In of ourselves, we would all be proven guilty. So how does God handle this? Matthew 27, we skip down. Verse 50, it says this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. So imagine us sitting there. We're watching the cross. And and yes, that's where hope comes to die, right? But maybe you were sitting there if you were living back then, looking at the cross saying, all right, maybe he's going to come down. Like we've seen him heal bodies. Maybe he's going to come down, push everyone aside, set up his kingdom, show us that he beat death, right? But then he dies. Apparent defeat. It looked like the enemy won. But see, God had a plan that the devil did not see coming. I want to talk about uh, Star Wars for a second for some of us who love that. Um, As an example here, a lot of our band um, loves Star Wars, and in between services, they always talk about it. And uh, last service, it was confirmed that they indeed were. Um, So did we talk about that? Any band members in here? got awkward. They're not sitting in service. They're sitting in the back. In the back. Oh, hey, you guys talked about it, right? Amen. That's it. So we talk theology and we talk Star Wars. So for, the, so for the Star Wars fans, whether it's four of them or five of them or whatever, it's important to realize this, that when we look at the Death Star, right, it looked impossible to destroy. We didn't see Luke going in there, guns blazing, and the team going in there, guns blazing. No, they, that they had to do something very calculated, right? They found the plans. They saw that there was a weakness. The weakness was in a small exhaust port. And the only way to get there was to fly a single X-wing down a trench. And there was a two-meter wide hole that Luke had to shoot. And we all know the scene where you have Luke flying up. And he talks to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan's like, use the force, Luke. And he takes away his computer and he fires the shot. Two torpedoes. Boom. Defeats the Death Star. He gets out of there, right? And that's why we love the movie so much. Because in an impossible situation, there was a calculated way to take it down. And likewise, in in a much better fashion, our God was calculated about his decisions and his choices and the way that he rescued you and I. See, he used all the decisions made. He used all intentions. And a lot of times, us Western thinkers, we can think, well, well, then is everything predetermined? Or, or do we have choice? Does our choice matter? And we, we hear this. And the answer to that is yes. Yes. 
God can, can do whatever. He is sovereign over all things. But yes, our choices matter. And us Western thinkers say it needs to be black or white. But here our God uses all things for his glory, for Jesus to die on the cross and rescue us from evil. See, the devil didn't see it coming that the cross would lead to salvation for you and I. And a lot of times in church, we can say, like, all right, I understand that Jesus died for me. Like, that's cool. But we seldom do we think, well, why did Jesus have to die for me to live? It's important we, we kind of know that question. If you're, you're new to faith, hey, that's, that's a big question to understand. Why did Jesus have to die in order for me to live? And see, it all comes back to the law. Tim Keller, uh, he talks about there's two ways to satisfy the law. The first way is to completely satisfy it by obeying it and fulfilling it perfectly. That's the first way you could satisfy the law. The second way is to pay the penalty of the law. And in this case, it's death, right? So death will then satisfy the law. There's two ways. You and I, we can do either one. Well, actually, no, we can't fulfill the law because we're imperfect. So then the only way that we can satisfy it is by paying its penalty. But here's Jesus. He comes in the scene and he is perfect. He fulfills prophecy. He, he follows God to the utmost and he satisfies every part of the law. He is perfect in all he does, so he satisfies it. But it doesn't stop there. Then he takes on my sin and your sin. And he goes on the cross and he dies in our place, thusly satisfying the law again that our God sent Jesus to satisfy the law both ways. And what does that mean? What is that significance? It means that God, Jesus was so perfect that he then had the authority to buy you and I back. See, no human could have went through the ranks of this world without messing up or being imperfect or, or falling victim to evil, but Jesus did. He conquered it. And then he paid for it and legally gives him the ability to buy you and I back from sin and from darkness. And the devil didn't see that coming until it was too late. The devil got played by God. He was a pawn in our salvation. Look what happens in verse 51. Jesus breathes his last and it says this, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. We'll skip down to verse 54. Now as for the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, truly this is the Son of God. So we have these Roman soldiers who have nothing to do with Jewish affairs. They're just doing their jobs. They're like, oh, it's Monday, you know, they're, or Friday, to be fair. Um, and they're going to put Jesus on a cross. They, they do all this. And, and somewhere in that, from the things that have occurred, they say, wow, this was the Son of God. And what is their first reaction? It's to be afraid. And it makes sense because if you and I were God and we, we sent our child down to rescue creation and creation killed our child, what would we do? We'd bust in there and we'd show them that, hey, you can't do that. We would, we would exercise our power, but what does God do? In verse 51, it says that he tore the veil. 
What does that mean? See, the veil in the temple was a, was a 60 foot tall curtain that was four inches wide. You don't just quickly run in and rip it. It wasn't done by a human. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. I don't know how you're jumping 60 feet in the, high, in the air to do that, right? So we know that it was God. And so we see the curtain is ripped. And what does that represent? See, the, the veil in the temple separated the Holy of Holies from us regular people. And by seeing that ripped, what does that suggest? It suggests that God has made a way for you and I to be close to him. That relationship between God and man is restored. Jesus came, the sacrifice, to buy you and I back from evil, to rescue us from it. And that's why Christianity makes it all about Jesus. Because from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see that it's all about him. And here's the thing. In the end, guys, all evil, it's going to be judged. God will make things right. But in the meantime, he's patient. It says in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, he's patient when it comes to destroying evil because he's out for your heart and he's out for mine. And if we think about it, even the beginning of the Bible with the ark, the ark took 120 years to build. I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I could build the ship immediately. Boom, there it is. 10 minutes, cool. 20, four hours, four years, okay. But he takes 120 years. And I think that goes to show that our God is patient with his creation because he wants my heart and he wants yours. And when we talk about good versus evil, we talk about heaven versus hell, we need to realize that if God took care of my deepest need and your deepest need, then we can, contru- we can trust that he's in control of history we can realize that evil will not prevail because God is in control. And in the midst of these unprecedented times, can't even say it without feeling weird, I want us to walk away with the fact that evil will not prevail because God's in control. This isn't anything new, but we need to remind our hearts of it daily because that will affect our decisions. It will affect, it will affect the way we, we care about others. It will, it will affect the way we go about our life. We need to be reminded today that evil will not prevail because God is in control. And so as we wrap up in the end here, we need to know that justice will prevail. God will make all things right. And in this message, we've seen that God has led the Magi and he led the, the, the events of the cross to save you and I. We realize that that evil is a little bit more involved than we want it to be, right? But God, that, that Jesus is our lifeboat and he rescues us from condemnation. We are set free. We see that that is the hope that we walk out here with today. And here is what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to overgeneralize any pain. Our God, he is with you in the darkness. He is with you in the details. And and if anything has showed us that our God is in details, it's what has happened with Doug. Just seeing how so many different things happen in the way they did that, like our God has showed up. And maybe today you're saying, well, that's not my situation, Andrew. But what I can tell you is this. God has a plan for your pain. And we may not get it, 
but he's going to use it. And we're zoomed in onto one small piece of the mosaic. And I know we've heard that before. And does that help? No, I get it. But as we zoom out, we have to know that our God is painting a, a picture that we don't understand. Again, like Tim Keller said, if God were small enough to be fully understood, then he wouldn't be big enough to be worshiped. And as humans, we want everything to be black and white. We want everything to be clear, right? We want it to be this or that. But our God is so complex and we need to defer to him. And so what I want us to do is just to lean into him today. Ask him those tough questions. Work through your doubts, yes. But let your faith be built in him, not in circumstance, but built in him and rest the fact that he is in control. And he's gonna use your pain. He's gonna use your scenarios. He's gonna use it for good. And you may not understand how that works. I may not understand how that works until we pass away and we're, and we're in heaven with him. We're like, oh. But right now, cling to him. Let him be your peace. If you're not a Christian here today, I, I hope you've seen that our God is not a God saying, hey, fix yourself and then come to me. No, 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 come to me. You know, it's a lot easier to run to someone who loves you than someone who's gonna judge you. And here we see God just patient with his creation. We see him in control. We see him ripping the veil of the temple because he longs to be in relationship with you. And we hope that you'd put your trust in him today. Feel free to ask questions. We are here for you in any way. But for all of us here today, in darkness and in light alike, God reigns above it all. He does. Trust him today because evil will not prevail because God is in control. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we come before you. Man, we think we know it all. We love to try and guess what you're gonna do before you do it. But God, you are a God that is so far complex and so, more faith, so much more faithful than we can realize. And so I pray today that regardless of where we find ourselves, that we can put our trust in you. We're not admitting that everything's easy. We're not admitting that hard things didn't happen, no. But we give those hard things and we put them at the foot of the cross knowing they're much better there than in our own hands. I pray for the hurting person today, the one that's afraid and fearful. I pray, God, that they would know that you hold the future in your hands. Doesn't mean that hard things won't happen, but when they do, I will walk with you. That's what you're saying today. I'm gonna to walk with you. You're not doing this alone. So many of us are paralyzed to move. We don't get up, we don't walk, we, we don't make any decisions. God, I pray today that we'd be set free from that. We would know that our decisions, yes, they matter in this life, but God, you ultimately control outcomes. That's confusing to us, but you're a big God. And our faith needs to be not in our own abilities or our circumstances, but they need to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I pray today, God, that we would step out in faith, however that looks, with wisdom, of course, with you guiding us. And we would trust that you hold all things, that in this battle of evil versus good, that evil will not prevail. And we've seen amazing miracles in this church. And we know, God, that you are working and you are doing things. And so be with us on both sides of that coin when the miracle is, is fresh, but also be with us when the hurt is real. In this life, we will have trouble, you promise, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That's what you said, Jesus. So we, we take heart and we lean into you. 
And I pray for the hurting heart and the rejoicing heart alike can find that hope in you today, Jesus. We give this all to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.